And now, you're catching up with Peach. What's up? What's up? Happy Monday. I hope your Thursday is going great. Rocking the dark roast again this week and got a little French vanilla creamer. And I know some of you may be saying that vanilla is basic, but I say sometimes it's good to go back to basics. But I hope you've had your coffee because week three, we are ready to get into some fun stuff. I'm excited. Hope you are too. And let's jump into the first thing on our docket is headlines and news to know. And within that, we've got three things. First up, the U.S. Open. Now, full disclosure, I don't, I haven't watched a whole lot of tennis in my lifetime, um, but I have, I have and did thoroughly enjoy watching the U.S. Open. So fun, so much respect for those athletes. So what actually happened? What was the outcome? Uh, on the women's side, Iga Swiatek beat Jabour 6-2-7-6, and Iga came in as the number one ranked tennis player in the world on the women's side, and the last player to be ranked number one and then go on to win with Serena Williams in 2014. So I think she's in some pretty good company there. She's also the first player representing Poland to win a major singles title. So that was the women. Congrats to Iga. And then on the men's side, Carlos Alcaraz, we talked about him last week, the 19-year-old sensation beating Casper Ruud, the Norwegian, 6-4, 6-3, and he is the first teenager to hold that number one ranking. He's the first teen to win it since Rafa Nadal did it in 2005, um, the U.S. Open specifically. But yes, um, congrats to both Carlos and Iga on their wins at the U.S. Open. Next up, the WNBA Finals. So the Las Vegas Aces and the Connecticut Sun are the two teams in the finals this week. And the Connecticut Sun knocked out the Chicago Sky in five to make it here to the finals. And the Las Vegas Aces um, effectively ended Sue Bird's career with the Seattle Storm and really her WNBA career. We touched on her briefly last week, but I want to follow up on that. She was, this is talking about Sue Bird from the Seattle Storm, a four-time WNBA champ. She was the all-time WNBA assist leader, a 13-time WNBA all-star, a 19-year career, and I mean, that's just to name a couple things. So I know many of you listening probably aren't big WNBA fans, but that is a name that you need to know. And I highly encourage that you just know the name Sue Bird with the Seattle Storm and that she finished out a historic career this year in the semifinals. But let's not forget about those Las Vegas Aces um, that as of this morning when I'm recording on Monday, they won game one last night. Obviously, they will be updated uh, by the time this comes out for you guys. But they won last night in Asia. Wilson was is the MVP this year in the WNBA. So fun to watch. Um, she's electric, kind of holds a lot of the... Um, Carries a lot of the weight, if you will, for that team. And also Becky Hammond, like we said last week, first year as a head coach. So that's where we stand with the WNBA playoffs as of now. And last but not least, rounding out our first category, if you will, we get to talk a little baseball. I know, I know. I've held off for a couple weeks, but it's time. It's right around the corner, and I was patient. Okay, I waited two weeks. That's all I could wait. It's time to talk some baseball. 
All right, three things within this. You'll see kind of a common theme for me. I like to give you three. I think three uh, names or three games, I think that's manageable. So I don't know where I get three from, but hopefully it works for you too. All right, first up, a rule change. Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, the commissioner, announced this week there is a rule change. There's now going to be a pitch clock. For those of you who complain about how long baseball games take, this will be helpful, okay? So there's a 30-second pitch clock in between batters. If there's nobody on base, there's 15 seconds in between pitches. And if there is somebody on base, then it's 20 seconds in between pitches. The second thing is there have been a lot of defensive shifts and like styles of the defense in Major League Baseball can look a little funky because they've been shifting to accommodate for where that specific batter likes to hit the ball. There's a lot of detail to this, but I just will say this to give you kind of the bird's eye view of it. There are now some specific rules that ban some of those movements that we have seen happen. So defensively in Major League Baseball, they're kind of tightening down, and that's really to increase um, the productivity, to increase uh, the batting averages in those infield-type situations. That may not make sense to a lot of you. If you want more details, feel free to go look it up. There's some great articles on MLB.com about it, but just know there these changes that are happening, and I'll give you the third one in just a second, are really for the whole of baseball to try and help the game be more enjoyable. Uh, I know a lot of fans have spoken. They've tried it out in the minor leagues. And so all that to say the third and last change that was made was bigger bases. So instead of 15 square inches, it's now going to be 18 square inches. So a lot of details there. In summary of everything I just said, there were three major rule changes that will be talked about and will go into effect next season in Major League Baseball. Number two, Albert Pujols. We mentioned him last week, and if you were paying attention, he hit number 697. So he tied Alex Rodriguez for fourth all-time and then passed him for 697 in his career right? So this is, these are career stats we're looking at here. And that count is still on. There's quite a few games left in the season. St. Louis Cardinals are looking to be in the postseason. So keep an eye out for him. And also a side note, a side story, uh, Albert Pujols, a lot of times when players hit, um, you know, their first hit or their first home run, you'll see fans or you'll see opposing teams give the ball back because you want to, you want to have those memories. You want to kind of commemorate those big moments. And the fan that caught the 697th, the one that put him in sole fourth place, the fan that caught that had lost one of her parents about a year previous. And so when Albert Pujols found that out, he told them, I want you to keep the ball um, and I'm going to give you two more signs. It's going to mean more to you than it will to me. And I don't know if you just needed a good dose of some, some cheer on this Thursday to start your, you know, to get an early start on your weekend, just really sweet, really neat and, uh, encouraging. And that's, that's why I love baseball. Okay. I briefly mentioned the Cardinals looking at postseason. What does postseason look like for major league baseball? Well, and I think I hinted at this early on. Major League Baseball has 30 teams. There are two leagues 
in three divisions within each league. So you've got the American League and you've got the National League. And then within those leagues, there is the East, the Central, and the West. There's a 12-team playoff that's new this year, 12 teams in the playoff, and the winners of each division are automatically in. As of this past weekend, this Los Angeles Dodgers clinched the first playoff spot, meaning they're so far ahead in their division, there's no way they're not going. So there are three and three from each division, so six are automatically in, and then there's six others that are fighting for what are called the wild card spots. Now, those are going to be teams right now that are Mariners, Rays, Phillies, Padres, a lot of shuffling, a lot of talk about those supporting teams that are getting in. Right now, it's looking like the for sure winners, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of movement between now and the beginning of October when final se- when like the final games of the regular season are played. But just to kind of give you a heads up, those are some names in the conversation for postseason baseball. Okay, we'll give baseball a rest, and we will go on to highlights and recap from this past week. So with this, we're going to kind of do like a thumbs up, thumbs down type of thing. I automatically think of Gladiator, but that's beside the point. Kind of who impressed and who, I don't want to say disappointed, who didn't live up to their full potential. Let's start with the college side. And yes, I do go college first and then NFL for most things just because I like to go in chronological order. So with college football, our thumbs up side, UK wins 26 to 16 in the swamp and Mark Stoops, their head coach, because becomes the all-time winningest coach. UGA jumped to number one in the new poll after Bama barely walked out of Texas with a victory, 20 to 19. What are we doing, Crimson Tide? Okay, and then USC dominated at Stanford. Um, Lincoln Riley, who is the head coach at Stanford, was with Oklahoma for a long time, and so he brings the style of play that you would see in the SEC kind of to the Pac-12, and with that comes kind of a strong statement, if you will. More to come on that later. I did just mention that UGA jumped to number one because we do have our new AP poll, Associated Press, and that is going to be UGA at number one, Alabama at two, Ohio State and Michigan at three and four, Clemson five, Oklahoma, USC, Oklahoma State, UK, University of Kentucky, and Arkansas to round out the top ten. Okay, our thumbs down, kind of, or like, if you will, um, comes in the fact that it was Upset City this past weekend. I mean, I uh, speechless, clearly. What were those upsets? Appalachian State beats what was sixth-ranked Texas A&M. Also, fun fact, Texas A&M paid Appalachian State $1.5 million to come play them. Washington State beats Wisconsin. Tennessee beats Pitt. BYU beats Baylor, double overtime. And Marshall beat Notre Dame. So Notre Dame is off to an 0-2 start. Tough, tough start for Marcus Freeman, the new head coach. Also tough because his quarterback, Tyler Buckner, is out for the rest of the season with a shoulder injury. A lot of overtime games, and we will get to overtime a little bit later on. Um, But still in our recap section, let's talk about what happened with the NFL. 
for a majority of these games in week one with the NFL, I felt like they were close or they were lackluster. Not a lot of standout performances in my book, but the few I will give to you. First up would be Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs. 360 yards and five touchdowns for him. Josh Allen and those Buffalo Bills that we had talked about in the Thursday night game against the Rams, they dominated. And then Lamar Jackson, had three touchdown passes in their 24-9 win over the Jets. So for those two players, you know, the, the hype was backed up by their play. On the other side of things, the Bucks and the Cowboys, the Sunday night game I had kind of teased last weekend. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to any of you who spent some of your Sunday night watching that game because it was a field goal flurry. It was kind of disappointing, and I mean, the Bucks walked away with a 19-3 victory, but honestly, it just didn't feel like that kind of victory, and for there to be that many field goals, when you have Tom Brady, okay, I'm getting too fired up. Let's stick to the facts, Georgia. Okay, uh, the big thing with that, though, are really two things. One, we had talked about Chris Godwin on the Bucks side. He had been coming back from that ACL injury. He left with a hamstring injury. But even worse than that for the Cowboys, their quarterback, Dak Prescott, injured his thumb at the end of the game out for six to eight weeks. So rest in peace to the Cowboys season, unless Jerry Jones, the owner, is willing to make some dramatic and drastic changes um, right out of the gate. Okay, Bengals. Burrow, Joe Burrow, we talked about him, had five turnovers. Listening to Talking Heads this morning, I don't think there's a lot of concern about Joe Burrow, but there is a concern about his offensive line protecting him. And was the success of last year short-lived? We shall see. Uh, the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, another name we talk about all the time, lost 23-7. to And there was, like, no connection for him, between him and his targets. And really, the defense looked confused there we'll say that <laughs> so kind of a rocky start for some of the superstars we had called out at the beginning we you know it's only week one we can't count the chickens before they hatch but stay tuned to see what happens with those those power names all right and last but not least that monday night football game headline packed russell wilson with his new team the denver broncos heading to seattle to play his old team and Statistically, Russell Wilson was the best quarterback that Seattle had. 292 passing touchdowns and uh, did not come away with a victory, though. Seattle stumped everybody and had a 17-16 victory over the Broncos. And just interested to see what Geno Smith and company do going forward. Uh, big win for them. And I'll be excited to see. Let me tell you something. That 12th man out in Seattle is no joke. They talk about that a lot. The 12th man being the crowd. And you'll hear the same thing with Texas A&M. It's insane. The crowd makes such a huge difference. And I definitely think Russell Wilson felt that being the visitor for the first time. All right. Hindsight is finished. Let's look ahead, starting with college football again. Hey, remember I said Appalachian State beat Texas A&M? Well, for the first time in program history, they're going to host college game day this weekend. And the game that they're in town for, Troy and Appalachian State. The three games, again with three, to no, uh, UGA and South Carolina in Columbia, South Carolina noon on ESPN. BYU and Oregon are in Eugene, 3.30 on Fox. And Miami at Texas A&M, 9 o'clock on ESPN. All those times are in Eastern time for you. 
Yes, I could give you some specific names, but those are really kind of the, you know, you want to watch a fun game, you want to know what some of the matchups are, the top 25, those are the three games that I will give you. For the NFL, uh, really, for me, the game to watch this week is going to be the Thursday night game. The Chargers and the Chiefs going to be a quarterback battle. Justin Herbert with the Chargers had a great start, and then we've already mentioned Patrick Mahomes and his solid start with the Chiefs. For Sunday's games, not really a whole lot jumps out at me. I do always find it interesting when you see two teams playing each other that have come off of similar storylines the week before. So came off of a dominant performance or they both just scraped by or they're both str- or they both struggled in their opener. So having said that, I'll give you three games that I'll be interested to see kind of how they go. The first one will be the Dolphins and the Ravens. The Dolphins smacked the Patriots. I don't know what the Patriots were doing. Um, but Tua Tagovailoa, who's the quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, a lot of question marks around him at the start of this season. Just can he carry a team? You know, can he be dependable? And then Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, both kind of dynamic quarterbacks. And then the second game would be the Bucks and the Saints. The Bucks scraping by. I mean, not at all what you anticipated. And then the Saints had a dramatic come from behind victory over the Falcons led by uh, Jameis Winston there. So looking to see with that game. Uh, Last but not least, I'll give you the Falcons and the Rams. We just talked about the Falcons um, beat at the end by the Saints. And the Rams did not look like defending Super Bowl champs. So, you know, the question, how do teams bounce back, right? Quarterback like Matthew Stafford, can they bounce back? Well, Monday night has two games, the Titans and the Bills, the Vikings and the Eagles. And um, you already kind of know some names surrounding that, so I'll just give you that as those are the games on Monday. All right, we're not done with baseball. Sorry, not sorry. As we head into this final stretch, we there are some games we need to keep an eye on. And so the series this week, just to kind of have in the back of your mind, the first one will be closing out the day that this comes out. But the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays are in second and third in the American League East, respectively. That's a four-game series in Toronto. And the Yankees look like they have a stronghold on the American League East, but those two teams are kind of battling it out there. The other series would be the Braves and the Phillies, and that's a three-game series Friday through Sunday, and that is a battle in the National League East. All right, so we have covered so far kind of the headlines, news to know, done a little looking back, done a little looking ahead, and now we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a break from the uh, facts and do a little bit of opinion I am going to set a timer on my watch, and we're going to do two minutes of my two cents. Okay, here we go. USC. We talked about USC and how they dominated Stanford this past weekend, and Lincoln Riley coming from the SEC. And USC and UCLA announced this summer they're going to the Big Ten. I talked about that in the first episode, the the shifting uh, the shifting landscape of college football. And Since we've had the college football playoff, there has been a controversy and underlying discussion that has come from, you know, what do we do with these Pac-12 teams, which historically have not been as strong as SEC teams? What do we do with those Pac-12 teams that, you know, have are, are dominant out there, which is like a USC this year, because aside from Utah, I don't really know how much they're going to be challenged. I mean, give or take what Utah looks like at that time. So, Say you look at USC who comes away, you know, unscathed 
essentially, from their season. But how does that stack up when they haven't really played the likes of a Georgia or an Alabama or, you know, even a Texas A&M on their good day? So as much as I hate to kind of lose the nostalgia of rivalries with these conferences and the USC-Stanford games and things like that, that does more for their resumes, though it is still weird to think about, like, California teams going to Rutgers for regular season. But anyway, I have been against kind of this this shifting uh, because I, I like the Power Five. I've grown up with the Power Five, but also maybe that gives a little more validity or substance to teams like USC who are dominant out in the Pac-12, but we have all these question marks about whether – we should let in a Pac-12 team to the college football playoff or whether it should be a one-loss SEC team? I mean, that's pretty much always the question. So I I don't know. It's like, yeah, Lincoln Riley goes out there and they just they have a corner market on success in the Pac-12. Maybe shifting's not bad. All right, I was like three seconds over. Okay, opinion done. We will take a breath, take a sip of coffee, and then we will go back to some facts. And those facts are going to be names and numbers to know. Really, their names and the numbers to know go with the names. So, surprise, surprise, I'll give you three for college and three for the NFL. In the college scene, number one, Marvin Harrison Jr. He's a wide receiver at Ohio State that's averaging 20 yards a reception. Number two, Jordan Addison, a wide receiver at USC. He's averaging 19 yards a reception. And last but not least, DeAndre Square. A little different take here. He is at UK, University of Kentucky, linebacker with six tackles. But the reason I put him here, he's been named team captain for the third year in a row. So as the season progresses, you need leadership on both sides of the ball. And just excited to see with six tackles already in two games, what that looks like going forward. And I mean, just mad respect. Three years, bro. Okay. All right. In NFL land, Saquon Barkley. No one expected the New York Giants to win week one, but they did in large part to this man. He had 18 carries for 164 yards and one touchdown. I'm going to pause right there. If you have a running back, you say carry. Every time they are given the ball, that's how many carries they have. Wide receiver, you know, they average however many yards per reception for catching the ball. Just, okay, side note, back on track. Jordan Jefferson with Minnesota. We talked about Green Bay blowing like their defensive coverage, and it was in large part with this man. He had nine receptions for 184 yards and two touchdowns. And if you watch the highlight, there's one moment, and he catches the ball, and he kind of like looks around and waits for somebody to tackle him, but nobody's near him. I mean, it's hilarious. Unless you're a Green Bay Packers fan, and then you're losing your mind. All right, and last but not least would be a quarterback, Carson Wentz. He was with the Eagles for a while, with the Colts for a year, but now is with the Washington Commanders. He had 313 yards and four touchdowns. If Commanders sounds weird to you, yes, that is a new name, still the Washington football team. There have been some shifts in team names in the past couple years uh, out of respect out of respect, excuse me, and due to just some cultural awareness. So yes, Washington Commanders, still a little weird for me to say that name, um, but those are your names and numbers to know for college and NFL football. 
Let's close out with our definitions. And this week will be a little bit more of an explanation than a definition. We're going to talk about overtime. I think I teased that a little bit earlier. There were a lot of overtime games. And so every sport has a different style of overtime and it differs between college and pro. So I want to give you kind of um, what it looks like essentially. But before we even go into that, real quick, um, when you watch reviews, the previous play is under further review. A lot of it relates to seeing if it's actually a catch or not when a player's on the sideline. In college, the receiver needs to have one foot completely inbounds for it to be called a catch. One foot completely inbounds. His heel can't be on the line. No. In the NFL, they have to have two feet in. So college, one foot inbounds, pro two feet in. And I smile when I think about this because I remember my dad always saying growing up, hey, NFL scouts are loving that when you would see a college player trying to get two feet in and they're practicing for the pros. All right, quick little tidbit there. Let's move on to those overtime rules. So for college, there's a coin toss. So if it ends in regulation and it's a tie, there's a coin toss for whoever wins the toss gets to choose between offense, defense, or what end of the field they want to have. Each team gets one position from the opponent's 25-yard line for each overtime through the first two overtimes. But then after those first two overtimes, you have to go for a two-point conversion. Now, let's do a little side with this. When you typically see games, you will see intervals of scoring in sevens or threes. Threes are the field goals. Six are the touchdowns. If you do a PAT, a point after attempt, and you're successful, that's one point. So touchdown six, you make that point after, it's seven. If you decide to go for what is called a two-point conversion and you try and find the end zone again through rush, pass, quarterback sneak, whatever it may be, that's two points. So what they're saying here with these rules is if it's going back and forth and nothing's really changing, we need to start forcing teams to go for that two-point conversion. And then it will be alternating two-point conversions will replace the offensive possessions starting in the third overtime. Rarely do you see a third overtime. That's more of like a basketball thing. Um, But yeah, that's college. For the NFL side of things, as of 2017 for the regular season, one overtime period of 10 minutes. And after that 10 minutes, if it's still tied, it can stay tied, hence the Colts and the Texans 2020 draw this past weekend. In 2022, so just this year, new this year for postseason play, both teams have the opportunity to score. It used to be that the receiving team scored first. That was it. Game over, sudden death. We'll smell you. But they get to keep going now, like alternating, so there's even until there is a distinct winner. So that is new for postseason play. All right. That rounds it out. Hopefully that made sense to you. Hopefully you learned something new. As always, I am so grateful that you were here with me and I'm grateful that I got to be with you. Whether I was with you on a walk or with you on a drive or just while you were sitting having a cup of coffee. Yes, I'm partial to coffee, obviously. Um, But I'm just super grateful to be here. Thanks for coming back for episode three and I will look forward to being with you wherever you may be next week. Same time, same place. Thanks for catching up with Peach. When they have replays for college in football, uh, for college, (laughs) I'm going to stop for a second. (laughs)